Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing you the shapers of the business world together with the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Tim Sadler, co-founder and CEO at Tessian, the security software company protecting businesses from threats caused by human error. Interested since childhood in how technology could make people's lives better, it was while working in banking that Tim and university friends Tom Adams and Edward Bishop saw a problem which had not yet been solved. As Tim says, for too long, Cybersecurity software has focused on securing technology and neglected the security of the people who run the organization. It just takes one wrong decision for an employee to cause a catastrophic security breach, and businesses are starting to realize they must do something to stop this. Tessian was launched in 2013, analyzing email data in real time using machine learning technology to eliminate threats from phishing attacks, ransomware, and from insider threats. It's really nice to have you. For those of you that don't know, sometimes we're live in the same place together, and other times, through technology, we are brought together, and this is one of those occasions. Tim, you are, I'm looking at you in Los Angeles, Santa Monica, no less. That's correct. And it looks nice to me, the weather, the sun. The sun is always the thing that when we're over here in the UK, we go, I wish there was a bit of sun, and you have plenty of it. Exactly. Santa Monica is kind of the opposite to the UK in terms of its year-round sunshine. Yeah. I'm not jealous at all, and I'm sure anyone listening isn't jealous either. The engineer in you, I think it was a product engineering degree, and then you did a mechanical engineering element to it, some masters and something. Tell me how the engineering person becomes an entrepreneur. So I think the engineering goes way back to childhood. Many people in my family were engineers or involved in building, designing, making things both my grandfathers, one of them was a engineer who worked in railways and locomotives. And then my other grandfather was a locksmith who actually built the locks that are on Buckingham Palace right now. So as a kid, I, I kind of grew up around Lego, Meccano, everything, you know, building. And also my, my father's an engineer as well. So I was really into just that concept of creating things and designing things from a young age. And then through school, I I studied math, I studied physics, I studied design technology, and then I went to university and got my master's degree in mechanical engineering at Imperial College, which is where I met Tom and Ed, who I then went on to start testing with. So it's kind of been with me from a really early age and it's kind of wired into the DNA of who I am. I just love, love creating solutions to problems that can help people and things that really wouldn't have existed otherwise if you know, creative thought or somebody hadn't bothered to kind of stumble upon them and and try and solve that problem. The Lego thing's interesting to me. And and I was reading recently just how well Lego's done in this lockdown. I mean, extraordinary figures, like, you know, 100 and however many, a few hundred percent up. At what age? And obviously in the family, you were saying, you know, you've got engineers everywhere. So there was no escaping for sure. And it's sort of the, the children of creative people end up somehow or other more likely to be in that profession and the children of lawyers and so on and so forth. But I hated Lego. I was awful at Meccano and I love solving problems. So for you, how young were you when you realized the, the, the tactile nature of making stuff appealed to you? Was it just you can't even remember how young you were or was there a moment 
when you went, this, is, this just makes me happy? That's a really good question. I can't really remember exactly when it, when it was. My parents probably could, but it was from like my earliest memories. You know, I would always be playing with something or building something, I think. You know, so my early memories are, yeah, I remember trying to take apart uh, VCR players and fix them. I think that was probably my earliest memory. It was, there was a particular Disney video that I had that I'd watched so many times. It had got jammed in the VCR or something. And when I was three years old, I got very frustrated that I couldn't watch it again. So I tried to take apart the VCR to fix it so I could watch it again. Which, you know, kids today, they don't have to worry about any of that. But, but I think that was probably the earliest moment. I think that's when my, when my parents told me that, you know, you're probably destined to become an engineer when you figured out how to do that. Tell me what you've made. How would you describe Tessian as if it was a piece of uh, a Lego creation? So Tessian is a human layer security platform for the enterprise. And what Tessian does is understand when people are doing the wrong thing in a computer system. So when they are making a mistake, when they're breaking the rules, or when they're being tricked. And what we do is we analyze their interaction on things like email, and we understand when a mistake is being made, we stop the mistake from happening. And then we provide in-the-moment security coaching for those employees to guide them towards better security behavior and avoiding potentially causing a data breach. And this was born out of my experience working for one of the world's largest banks where I saw a paradox. And the paradox was that the bank had an enormous cybersecurity budget, had lots of people working in security and had a lot of cybersecurity software, but breaches would still happen all the time. And they were usually caused by inadvertent human error people breaking the rules or people being tricked. And the reason for that is that, you know, cybersecurity over the past sort of three decades really has only focused on building technology to secure technology. So everyone's heard of a firewall or many people have heard of network security. We also use EDR platforms, antivirus to secure our devices. But there's no technology layer that secures people and their digital interactions. And what's happened over the past 40 years is we've had this and a wave of digital transformation where work now for most people happens through a computer screen. Everything we do is digital. You can wire millions of dollars in a few mouse clicks. You can share your entire customer database in a few clicks on email. Now, with that power comes huge consequences and disaster if somebody makes the slightest mistake or somebody chooses to break the rules or somebody is coerced through social engineering. So we wanted to build the world's first cybersecurity technology that would help secure the third paradigm in the enterprise, which is people. So we secured the network, we secured devices, and now at Tessian, we're building human layer security to secure people. What's really cool about what you've described, and, and I understand what you do, but I wouldn't have had a clue how to put it together, is of course that you've created your, your brand new category. And the category that you're in is your category, which is this notion of human layer security, which is very smart. When you came upon that, was there a Bond villain image in mind, a sort of Blofeld? And this Blofeld was sitting there with his cats and saying, I think I've cracked it. I think we found something pretty cool here. I mean, is that where it started with the why don't we do that? Or did that emerge later through the fact that actually the technology was creating that very thing? It was a bit of both, I think. It's really easy to look back at companies and think, 
you know, on day one, it started and there was this perfect messaging and perfect pitch. And the reality is actually it, it's, you know, you iterate and you pivot and you try a lot of stuff and then you refine it over time. And for us, we had reached a point where it all just started to make sense. But there was that moment, that light bulb where we said, and I remember going over to the desk of Ed, who's my co-founder and saying, you know, I think I've got it. I think what we're building is, is called human layer security, HLS. That's our category. That's what we are going to call the platform that we're creating. That's the movement that we're going to create. And um, what's been so amazing is, you know, in those moments, it's just three words and you can go online and, oh, humanlayersecurity.com is available and it's 99 cents and you start acquiring these things and then actually it becomes a movement and it has become a movement. You know, we've created the Human Layer Security Summit. We have thousands of people attending that summit every year. We have our customers talking in terms of their human layer security and that's just been so amazing to see. So the answer to your question, I think, is there were no cats or, you know, it wasn't kind of the Bond villain setup, but there was that light bulb moment. And I think everything just clicked and it, it felt right. Stay with me here on JFM. You're listening to JS talking with my business shaper. He's on about HLS and there's a lot of value in it. His name is Tim Sadler. He'll be coming back in a few minutes. But right now we're getting a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital session, MADS, which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Derez, Joe Hancock and Katie Ling talk about current trends in cyber fraud and what companies need to do to protect themselves against them. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. I think that the main thing is to be proactive and not reactive. We've seen a lot of people will respond once they've been hit by a cyber attack, but in many ways, you've lost your data or you've lost a lot of money by doing that. Whereas if you have these systems in place beforehand, then that's going to be much better practice. So as you said there, Katie, being proactive, not reactive, preparing and doing these things first. What can you do to prevent this stuff? Is there anything that can technology help us here? You know, is, is it worth kind of building the walls around our organisations higher? Any particular tools or techniques you'd recommend for people? Yep, definitely. And I, I think that this comes back to the basics, you know. I've urged so many people I know to just not use the same password everywhere um, and on every online service, use a secure password. And it sounds simple, but just so many people don't do it because if one password is breached, then a criminal has access to anywhere that you've been online. I think that also introducing two-factor authentication is really important and just these general security checkups that people sort of normally ignore, they can be really helpful in protecting yourself. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can revel in all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again with Tim if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find a soup song of our recent shows. But back to today's guest, Tim Sadler. He's the co-founder and CEO at Tessian, the human layer security software company that protects businesses from threats caused by us humans. 
Now, to set up your own business, Tim, and you've described a little bit about what Tessian is, you need to be an optimistic fellow, and we don't know each other, but you seem to have a smile on your face. You seem to be light as you view the world, which is a pretty amazing feat, I think. When you, if you can cast your mind back, when you started raising money, and you've raised a lot of money over the years, how did you manage to convince the biggest VCs in the world, the biggest venture capital companies in the world, the Sequoias, the Baldertons, what was it, do you think, that got them over the line? So I think when you're raising money as an entrepreneur, especially towards you know Series A, Series B, it's a combination of two things. Your company has to have good metrics, and good metrics means growth. You have to be able to show that you have customers that are not only using your product, but paying you for your products and VCs talk to those customers. So when you raise money, I think, you know, when we were raising our Series B, the investors we were raising from, they probably called 10 of our customers and probably more, I imagine, in back channel. So they care deeply about what do customers think about your products? How do they feel about the price they pay for your products? Would they pay more for your products? And what do they think about the company and, and the people that they interact with? So that's one thing. It's super important that those things are in place. But then I think the probably the most important thing, if you've checked the box on the, the first point about your growth and those metrics, is what your vision is for this company and how it's going to change the world. And vision, you know, usually sits hand in hand with a really big opportunity, something that's defining, something that's going to change the world, something that's going to make, in our case, the enterprise a completely different place to work and and a completely different place from a security standpoint. And then you have to kind of articulate that into why it's a great investment opportunity, but fundamentally how it's going to open up opportunities that are much bigger than the opportunities you have today as a company. So you often hear about companies that start off as features and then become platforms over time. And I think that's one of the things that we did really well at Tessian, which is we started solving a direct, very acute piece of pain for our customers. And then over time, we're able to extend the service that we were providing to customers into a platform. Everything you've just described to me makes perfect sense to me, Tim. The rational part of my brain says, of course, they had a good growth story. Of course, they had the conversations, the back channel conversations with customers. Of course, there was a compelling vision, size of market. Everything works for me. And yet I'm kind of thinking that as much as the world is rational, you are rational, our friends in the venture capital space are rational, there's a big emotional piece in this. And I guess my question is, what emotionally do you think they bought in you and your co-founders? I think this plays a huge part when you're investing in any early stage company. The founding team are the people who show up to pitch and meet the partnership. And I think that seeing people that you believe have the characteristics to build an enduring company is... Yeah, it was, it was, I omitted that from those other two points about having great metrics and a great vision. Yeah, I think you need to have a great founding team. And I think what investors have told me about their decision to invest in our company or things that maybe they thought was strong in, in, in our founding team was the concept of grit. We show this photograph of the early days of Tessian when we'd moved into an apartment together in Hammersmith and you can just imagine it. It's like there's laundry everywhere. It's a super small room, just books and desks, you know, printers, everything which piled up around us. But that's how it was. And we show that photograph to communicate how in the early days, like we had $1,000 in the company bank account and 
it was just the three of us building and writing code on on literally the kitchen table. So that concept of grit, the fact that we we didn't start life as a company raising two million dollars from a great VC fund. We started with you know no money and no contacts and kind of clawed our way through. And that's something that's been highlighted: just that grit, scrappiness, hunger, and it's still alive not only in the founding team today, but we've taken that through to the company. We have grit and perseverance as one of our six core values as a company. And then I think the other thing is a founding team that knows the line between confidence and optimism, but is also humble and you know willing to kind of share their flaws and highlight the mistakes that they've made in the past and listen to people and gather feedback and act on that feedback. And you know, not just kind of stonewall feedback or not try and hide things that are imperfect in your in your business. Everyone has scars and those scars make you, you know, they make you hungrier. They, those chips on your shoulder, you know, whether you're as an individual, something that happened in your life or something that's happened to the company, it makes you stronger and it, it pushes you on. And investors that I know and, and work with today, they, they like that a lot. They care about that a lot. And I think it's a common trait in, in entrepreneurs. Those values and the kind of atmosphere and the culture that you're creating and inculcating in your people. Tell me a bit about how in a practical way that team understand and believe it. Because it's one thing to say we are humble and it's another thing to actually deliver it. And it's another thing to nurture it. What are the manifestations, if you like, on a day-to-day basis within the team and what you expect from them? Yeah, it's a great point. So something we do as a company, every fortnight we hold our company all hands meeting. Um, we call it the WIG. It's the weekly interdepartmental gathering that our CFO named when she joined the company now five years ago. So it's kind of stuck. It's no longer weekly, it's fortnightly, but we thought WIG sounds better than the FIG. And one of the things that we do at that meeting is we talk about how Tessians have demonstrated the values that we that we have as a company through Kudos. So we recognize people for amazing achievements tied to the values that we hold as a company. And this is, it's exactly that. We are showcasing how people have lived our values as a company. So, you know, one of our values is positive mindset, solution oriented. Everything looks like a problem in a startup or a growth stage company. And, you know, we see amazing stories of Tessians who have overcome seemingly impossible challenges, whether it's in engineering. There was one example very recently where you know, our data science team turned around a improvement to a set of algorithms within two weeks, and it delivered like a 40% uplift for our customers without getting into the details of it. You know, that was a positive mindset solution oriented moment where it looked impossible that we'd be able to turn something around that quick and, and we were able to do it. We have other examples of people going above and beyond to show customer centricity, which is another one of our six values. And you know, common examples of customer centricity are where we have teams that are working, you know, not often, but sometimes late into the night to deliver something for a customer or help them with an integration or a deployment to make sure that we're on schedule. And for me, these are some of the you know most amazing parts of building a company, which is seeing people deliver things that they didn't even know were possible. And a company that kind of provides an environment and opportunity like that is, is amazing. 
The other thing we do is we have the values champions, which are for the really, really exceptional demonstrations of values every uh, so twice a year we hold our town hall and uh, we have a values champion for each one of the values and that person is kind of goes down in history as one of the tessian values champions and there's some great swag around it as well which is always important in a startup do they get badges oh they get more than badges you get because I, I, I want them to get a badge tim they they get more than a badge. They get they get their own fancy Tessian swag with their imprinted value on the badge. It's it's pretty cool. I'm quite jealous actually of the jackets. I think I I want to be involved in this. But but where are these Tessians? All, all the people that work for you, I love you. You call them Tessians. Where are they based? Because obviously you're in the states, the Englishman in America, and obviously there's a whole a whole set of conditions that would change in terms of that dynamic. But for for your people, are they everywhere or are they all physically with you? We have um, people throughout the world. Um, a lot of those people are based in London. We have people in on the West Coast in the Bay Area, in LA. We have people in Austin. We have people in Boston. We have people in Colorado. We have people in in Poland, all over the world now. But a majority of our people are in London, Boston, and Austin. Sounds pretty cool to me. Stay with me for my final chat with Tim Sadler. He's my business shaper today. We've also got a treat from Kurt Elling. That's all coming up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Tim Sadler's my business shaper just for a few more minutes. I keep coming back to this thing, Tim. You're incredibly successful, highly funded. When you speak, you have real poise and you have a perspective which is usually what you you connect with someone much older and, and much more experienced do you ever sort of think about how young you are or don't you feel young anymore now that you've you know you got your battle scars from this business that you've created i think it's a good question i don't feel young i guess is my gut reaction to that question i think we're in an industry where age age doesn't matter there are people who are could be in elementary school or middle school and and developing technology that is you know, not only interesting, but there are entrepreneurs who founded companies at the age of 13. And I really believe in that. So I don't feel young, but at the same time, I do reflect on the fact that this is for me and Ed and Tom, it's act one. It's the first thing that we've done in our careers. And it's been just the most amazing journey for us. And I don't know what's, you know, I, I don't know what's next, you know, whether Tessian is, is everything we'll do in our careers or whether it'll be something after Tessian. But that's something that I think about, but I think certainly in this in this industry, but also just the world in general, I think it's amazing to see how the power of you know technology and and people can learn so much online now and have access to so much. It doesn't matter how old you are; it doesn't matter you know where you're based. You can actually certainly with regards to software engineering, you can write code and you can put things together from your bedroom, and I think that's pretty cool. And it makes me think about the fact that intellect and plus technology can equal huge success. Beyond the intellect, have you found yourself now understanding the world better because of the experience, which is not intellectual, but is just lived experience, which is just Tim actually sitting there with the co-founders from Hammersmith, getting on planes, having people across the world, having to learn about P&Ls, balance sheets, raising money, working out connectivity all these things which are and i mean connectivity and in, in the way you talked about people and you know your your values champions and so on and so forth how important is it to you that beyond the intellectual and beyond the technology piece tim sadler who we're talking to now is a very different 
animal to the one that set this business up? I think the thing that it teaches you that is an amazing life lesson is empathy. I was talking to somebody about this recently. When you build a company, you interact with so many people through that journey. All the people that you hire, work with, all the customers that you sell your product to, all the end users who use your product, all the people you kind of meet along the way through networking or through other kind of events. And it exposes you, I think, to just so many different kinds of people with different circumstances and different motivations. And for me, the biggest thing is learning and I guess growing that sense of empathy that you have as a person for other people when you're designing a product and thinking about how they'll use it or their interaction with it or their experience with it. When you're hiring people and thinking about the commitment you're making to their future career and them joining your company, when you're having to deal with difficult situations at work, when you're having to deal with difficult customer situations, I think for me, that's, that's the thing that I'm most grateful for, which is just gaining you know, that deep perspective on other people's emotions, thoughts, considerations. And uh, yeah, empathy is the thing that I use a lot every single day, and I'm still working on it as well. But for me, that's been the thing that I've taken away from this experience, which has really you know, helped, I think, shape my perspective on life. I think that might be the first time I've heard someone articulate that quite as well. And I've spoken to a lot of people over the years. I think it's a great thing to hear for other people that are thinking about running their own business or indeed are. Tim, thank you. It's been a real treat talking to you. Despite the the miles and technology, which can sometimes play its, its evil part and its brilliant part, Tim, obviously, because your business is all about ensuring that it does do the good stuff, not the bad stuff. It's been great. Thank you so much. Just before I let you disappear literally into the ether, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? My song choice is Sanjaman Sure Thing. And I've chosen this because I did not know a lot about jazz or acid jazz until I met my now wife. And she loves this song. It's her favorite song. We listen to it a lot. And uh, it's been the soundtrack to many amazing moments in our, in our relationship together. Saint Germain with Short Thing, the song choice of my business shaper today, Tim Sadler. They brilliantly created a category of one, human layer security. He talked about the importance of grit beyond growth, beyond vision. The team of entrepreneurs has to have grit. And finally, a really interesting take on what he's learned beyond being obviously a super smart person in the world of technology, and that's empathy. Empathy through his customers, through the people that work with him, through the people that work for him. Fantastic stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers. <laughs>